Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thank you, as always, to Dabble for sponsoring us and giving us a home to talk about books and writing and all of the great stuff that we get to chat about here. Join us over at StoryCraft.Cafe where you can find out about our live author events and get notified when they're going to be live on YouTube and you too can come be part of the conversation. And we are live here in the StoryCraft Cafe. I am your host, Hank Garner. Today, I am super excited to be joined by Don Bentley, uh, one of my favorite um, thriller authors. I I don't even quite know how to classify uh, your books, Don. I just love them so much. You've got a brand new Matt Drake novel. This is book four uh, in the Drake series, is that right? That's right. Forgotten War. Uh, it has been available for, I guess, a week today. Is that right? Yep. Yep. Last Tuesday. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, welcome to the show, Don. Thanks so much for having me again, Hank. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I mean, <laughs> Matt, um, Don, I absolutely love the Matt Drake series. Um, there's something about this group of characters that you write that just is so timely uh and that resonates so deeply with with a lot of people um where did where did the idea for drake come from yeah i appreciate you saying that so um as you said forgotten war is the fourth book in the series and um and without sanction is the first book and um before without sanction sold uh, I wrote three books that didn't sell. And so when I was sitting down to write without sanction, my editor is a guy named Tom Colgan and he's fantastic. He's edited everybody from Janet Ivanovich to Lee Child to right. Tom Clancy when he was still alive. And Tom Colgan said that when you're a new writer debuting in a genre, what you need to do is something that's the same but different. And so the same from the standpoint of, you know, Brad Taylor's a good friend of mine. He writes the fantastic Pike Logan series. And my book, hopefully, yeah, he's he's such a good guy. And my book hopefully should be shelved in the same area as his. But if I'm not going to write a better Brad Taylor book than Brad does. And so you have to figure out what is the different thing. And so when I sat down to write Without Sanction and now Forgotten War four books later, I started with Matt Drake and I thought, you know, what could I do that's a little bit different than what's currently in the genre? And so Nelson DeMille's a huge influence of mine or on me rather. Uh, he was kind enough to blurb Forgotten War and his John Corey series, I thought, was fantastic for a lot of reasons, but mainly because I loved hanging out with John Corey. And I remember telling right. my wife, I'm like, that guy is so funny. I would go to the grocery store with John Corey just to listen to him talk. And right. so when I looked in this genre, I said, you know, there aren't a whole lot of protagonists or that are kind of that self-depreciating, witty um, humor. And so I tried, I decided to write Matt that way. Um, the second thing I did is I was in the army for 10 years and then was an FBI agent for a couple of years. And my job 
in the FBI was to run and recruit what we call sources in the criminal world and what folks in the intelligence community call assets. And there were, when I was looking at the genre, there were a lot of special forces types. There were a lot of uh, folks who were assassins or something like that, but I hadn't seen a whole lot of folks who were straight up spies. And so I make Matt Drake an employee of the Defense Intelligence Agency or DIA. And his job is to go run and recruit assets overseas, kind of like it was my job to do that here. And then the final thing I did uh, when I got out of the FBI, I spent about 10 years working for companies that uh, marketed technology to special operations commander, the intelligence community. And so my co-workers, many of them were all from the Ranger Regiment. And that was another area that I hadn't seen represented a whole lot in fiction. And so I made Matt a former army ranger. And so those were the things that kind of came together to shape him and hopefully make him a little bit the same, but different in the genre. One thing that, that you love about Matt Drake is, is not just this character and for all the reasons that you just explained, Mm -hmm. but, um, the the supporting characters yeah. uh, Frodo especially Frodo is one yeah. of my favorite characters in a book thank you um you know from uh, I I I didn't serve uh mm-hmm. like you did but I can imagine my uh one of my sons-in-law is uh is in the uh in the air force mm-hmm. and um I I and and my dad and my father-in-law both were as well. Um, but I understand that the people around you mm-hmm. are just as important, if if not more yeah. so, that the, yeah. the, the connection of a team and, yeah. you know, uh, building on each other's strengths and, you know, building a team where, where each person uh, is uh, – a specialist for, for lack mm-hmm. of a better word at, at different areas in the, uh, what does, what does, uh, Drake's team mean to him? Yeah. Yeah. So a couple of things. So Frodo is, um, not a hobbit. That is, uh, the, <laughs> the call sign of his best friend, a guy named Frederick Tyler or Frederick Tyler Cates. And he goes by his call sign of Frodo because Frodo was in the Delta force and in that organization and and some others, you're awarded a call sign and, and the call sign is often not complimentary and you usually don't have uh, any say in the call sign you're given. And so when Without Sanction started, Matt and Frodo were paired together because Matt was a case officer running assets across uh, originally Iraq and Frodo was detailed to be his bodyguard. And so um, their relationship is kind of emblematic of the relationships I had in the service in that um, Matt Drake is a, is a white kid who grew up outside of Salt Lake City and went to college at the University of Texas and, and then, um, you know, became an officer where Frodo is a black guy who grew up outside of Philadelphia, never went to college, went straight into the army and then went through um and became part of Delta Force. And so on face on the face value, those two people shouldn't have anything in common. But what you see in the book is that they enjoy this, this friendship that goes um, beyond just a friendship to a brotherhood. And that was very much what being in the military was like for me. You know, the, the men and women I served with became brothers and sisters, one of my closest friends. My wife um, knows how to make Puerto Rican beans and rice because one of my closest friends was Puerto Rican and we served together two or three times. And one of the times he got, he and his wife got to 
our next duty assignment before we did. And we lived with them for a month and a half. And that was just people. What I loved about the military is people from all backgrounds, all belief systems, you know, all creeds coming together and becoming this lethal team that gets forged together in the fires of combat into a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And so I very much wanted to show that in, in my books. And so Matt and Frodo are, are kind of a, a stay, a, a common in all of the books, but what I wanted to do in forgotten wars, expand that a little bit. And so when the book starts, um, Matt and Frodo are in a bar and they're having a beer and two army CID or criminal investigation division agents come and they arrest Frodo. And so, um, and they arrest him for a war crime that allegedly occurred 10 years earlier during Matt and Frodo's first tour together in Afghanistan. And so Matt has to try to clear Frodo's name. He, he goes to find the other members of that operational detachment or ODA alpha team, the Green Berets they served with, but he figures out that each one of the men who were on the objective with he and Frodo and would know what happened have, have, mis, have died under mysterious circumstances. And so the only hope Matt has of finding out what really happened in the room where Frodo's accused of murder is to go to Afghanistan and find the interpreter who served with them on that mission. And the only problem is the book takes place during 2021, during our fall from Afghanistan or our withdrawal from Afghanistan. And so for the first time, Matt goes to do an operation and his government no longer has his back from the perspective of DIA won't send him to Afghanistan. And so Matt kind of puts together this ragtag team of veterans to go do what the government won't. And so Forgotten War is very much a work of fiction. It's meant to be a good story, but it's built on actual events that happened. Many of them I've modified, many of them they haven't with things like the Pineapple Express, where these civilians who once served said, by God, when I was in Afghanistan, our Afghan allies stood shoulder to shoulder with us. And I promised them that if they did that, America would protect them. And so I'm going to go honor that vow. And, and that's part of Forgotten War. And you get to see that cast of characters come together in the book. The Forgotten War is... Um like you said, it's uh, it's not a blow by blow retelling of what happened, yeah. but it is yeah. a a fascinating story set there. Um, yep. A lot of authors are very um, reticent. Uh, I started mm-hmm. to say the word skittish, but that's not not <laughs> really, um, to to deal with real events. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it gets it gets hairy. Uh, you know, yeah. when you're writing a a book for a broad market, you you know. Um, mm-hmm. you didn't shy away from, uh, a lot of the controversy that was around yeah. that. Um, what, what are your feelings about dealing with, I mean, I mean, you can talk about this situation specifically if you want, but sure. it's kind of the, the wading into the real life waters that a lot of authors will shy away from. Yeah. So I'm an Afghanistan veteran. I served as a, uh, air cavalry troop commander in the army from 2005 to 2006 in Afghanistan. And so in the summer of 2021 in August of 2021, as Afghanistan was crumbling, uh, it, I just, you know, I didn't know what to do. I'm, I, I, I couldn't work for two weeks. I'm just on one hand, um, I wanted us to be done with Afghanistan. I have a son who was born shortly after nine 11, who is now pursuing pursuing a career in the Marine Corps. And as a father, 
I found it abhorrent the thought that he would have to potentially go back to Afghanistan a generation later. And, and for what, you know, what, what in the world were we even still trying to do there? And the same token, watching it go down the way it did, watching 20 years of blood and treasure and, and men and women lost and time spent away from family, just, just go up and smoke, just rocked me. And so as I was talking to other veterans and texting and, and trying to make sense of it, the question that I kept getting over and over again that, frankly, I was asking myself was, was it worth it? Was the 20 years that we sacrificed, were the multiple deployments, were the, the time away from family and birthdays missed and friends lost, was any of that worth it? And so when I sat down to write the fourth book, I knew Afghanistan was going to play a central role to it. And so for me, it was... My job as a writer is to tell a story that keeps you up at night, that you have to turn one more page, that you have to read one more chapter. But I also know that readers resonate with veracity. And what I mean by that is that in a great book, what's happening is the author is trying to answer a question for himself or herself in those pages. And I was really wrestling with that question. And I felt like if it if I didn't shy away from it, if I was brave enough to put it in the book, that readers would respond to that. And so what I wanted to do was use the actual events of Afghanistan, the fall of Afghanistan, the, the Taliban taking Bagram and Kabul and watching all these cities you know, crumble under the Taliban onslaught. I wanted that to be kind of the heartbeat that drove the book. But I also wanted to be sensitive to the real lives that were lost. You know, I dedicate the book to the 13 men and women who were killed by the uh, suicide bomber at the Abbey Gate in Bagram. And so I wanted to tell a great story. I wanted to involve Bagram, but I also, or Afghanistan, but I also wanted to be very careful that I wasn't using tragedy to, to sell books or to give the appearance of that. And so it was right. something I definitely spent a lot of time uh, working on. And this is the first book we actually have an author's note because some of those events happened, but they happened in an order that or at a pace that was slightly different. And I needed to slow them down in order to give the book more tension. And I talk about that, but it's, it's been really great so far. I've gotten a lot of the early reviews talk about um, the sense of heart that's in this book, the sense of emotion that is often and not in books of this genre, even though it's a really great story. But the the ones I treasure most, you know, only one quarter of 1% of the American population served in Iraq or Afghanistan. And so you think about that. That's a tiny, tiny fraction of our population that shouldered this nation's wartime burdens for 20 years, and they did it voluntarily. And so most people probably don't know somebody who served in Iraq or Afghanistan. Most people probably aren't related to somebody who served. And so what I love the most of the reviews that I get from veterans who say, this is what I tried to say if I could find the words to say it. And so I deliberately steered clear of anything political. I didn't want to get involved in administrations and stuff. I just tried to present what was happening from the vantage point of the men and women on the ground who were who were doing voluntarily what their nation asked them to do and who some of them paid the ultimate price because of that. And, and what an incredible uh, telling of that story it is. Um, this, this book is uh, a political thriller on one hand, action adventure on another hand, 
police procedural. Um, you know, you kind of dip into that murder uh, investigation. Um, when you first conceived of this mm-hmm. story, um, how did you how did you start kind of mapping out what this story would be and and all of the the complicated pieces that you wove together? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because it is by far um, the hardest or the most ambitious book um, I've written. And it, and it didn't I didn't set out to do that necessarily. What I wanted to do is two things. So, number one, um, I get a lot of um, emails uh, from readers or reviews talking about how much they love Frodo and how much they love Matt and Frodo. But when Without Sanction, the first book in Forgotten Wars, the fourth book, when the first book starts, Frodo has already suffered um, this catastrophic injury from a, uh, in, in a, a, a um, improvised explosive device that amputates his left arm and severely damages his, his leg and basically ends his career as a commando. And so what I got a lot from readers was, man, I would love to see Matt and Frodo together went before Frodo was hurt. And I thought, you know, that's a really good idea. That would be pretty fun to do. And so at first I thought I was going to write an entire just throwback book that just showed kind of their origin story. And then when I was talking to my editor, my editor is also Mark Graney's editor who writes the fantastic gray man series and Mark's book. Um, I think it was burner actually had two alternate timelines and my editor's like, why don't you do that instead? Why don't you have part of the book be throwback and part of the book be the timeline. And so then I needed something. And by then Afghanistan was crumbling, but I needed something overall to drive the plot. And so one of my friends is, um, that Frodo is partially based on spent was an army ranger, but then spent the majority of his career in Delta force. And so he started, He's the one I call a lot to talk about um, tactics and what the guys are thinking. And so he told me um, about this scenario that I that I that as he was as a writer, you hear a lot and you research stuff. But then every now and then it's kind of like somebody hits a tuning fork and it's just this thing that just resonates in your mind. And so as he was laying out part of the story, I'm like, oh, man, that would be the fantastic thing that drives all of this. And, and kind of ties it together. And, and then the last part of it, again, Nelson DeMille, not just with his John Corey, there are two books. So Nelson DeMille was a Viet, decorated Vietnam uh, war veteran, was actually right. an infantry platoon leader. And there are two books he wrote um, about Vietnam that that very much impacted me as I was writing this. So the first is called Upcountry, and it's about a um, army um, CID agent who has to go back to Vietnam after the war's over and investigate a crime that allegedly took place. And then the second one, the name escapes me, I think it's called something honor. And it's about a guy who served in Vietnam and I think witnessed a potential war crime and then has to go back into court to figure out. And so you as the reader are constantly trying to figure out, did the guy do it? Was he a part of the war crime? Wasn't he? And so all of that kind of swirled together and became forgotten war. Love it. Um, like I've said, um, this is one of my favorite series that's currently being written right now. And I, I love to see what you're going to come up with. Um, you, you not only write this series, which is yours a hundred percent, you also write over in the Clancy universe. Uh, and did I hear news recently about, about a, a new series that you're going to start or an, an existing series that you're going to be the new author on? 
Yeah, absolutely. So this year's a little bit um, crazy for me. So Forgotten War, like you said, just came out last Tuesday. And then on the 3rd of May, I believe it is my third Tom Clancy book that's called Flashpoint comes out. And then my fourth Tom Clancy book that's called Weapons Grade comes out in September. And then I just found out that I was selected to take over um, the Vince Flynn Mitch Rapp series for Kyle Mills. And so Kyle's last book is called um, Code Red that comes out in September. And then my first book in the Mitch Rapp universe will come out in September of 2024. So, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. Um, I didn't think it could get any better than writing for the Clancy estate. And um, and then the opportunity for Mitch Rapp came up and Vince Flynn is my all time favorite um, writer. And I apologize if I've heard this story on your show before, but when my, either my second or third book didn't sell, I took my favorite um, Mitch Rapp book and broke it down scene by scene in index cards and taped it to my bedroom wall. Cause I didn't have a, an office back then. And I always tell folks, you know, it was, it was like the difference between looking at a building and looking at the blueprints of the building. Like when I, when I saw it all mapped out, then I could start to see, you know, how many scenes does Vince go before he brings Mitch Rapp back? You know, how often does he have an action scene? How many, you know, where does Irene come in? And so to get the chance to continue his legacy um, in 2024 is just astounding to me. That is what, and, and Kyle has done amazing things. With amazing. That um, amazing. What is what is it like, um, you know, going from a, a book that you have absolute, complete creative mm-hmm. control over, um, you know, with the with the four books that you've written in this series yep. and then, you know, uh, stepping into I don't, I don't want to say stepping into another author's shoes because it's, it's, sure. it's different than that. But playing with his characters and his world. Yeah. What, you know, from a creative person standpoint, what's the difference in approaching a new Drake novel as opposed to a new Clancy novel or even now a, a new Vince Flynn novel where the rules are already set and the characters are yeah. already created? What do, do you feel any constraints there or is it um, is it freeing because these rules have been set already? What how does that work in your brain? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm very fortunate that I've had the same editor for all eight books um, that I've written because I just turned in um, the edits to Weapons Grade uh, last week, I think. And so my editor is a guy named Tom Colgan, and he's edited edited everybody. And um, and he uh, he lets me do um, what I want in the in the first draft. And what I mean by that is. Um, so a good friend of mine is a golden glove boxer and he boxed for Penn state when he was in college. And he said, you know, the purpose of a referee in a boxing match is that that referee's job is to worry about your opponent. So you don't have to, the only thing you have to worry about is fighting as hard as you can. And the referee's job is to make sure the other person doesn't get hurt. And so a great editor, I feel like is, is like that for an author so that when you sit down to write this first draft, you're not thinking of constraints or rules or boundaries in the universe. You're thinking of writing the biggest, broadest, most expansive story you can. And then it's the editor's job to be the guardrails for you. And so Tom's done a a great job of that for me. And I, and I, um, I'm very conscious of the world that I write in that it's Clancy's world. and, And I stand on the shoulder of giants to do that. 
but I also have ideas of how to push things and make them bigger and try and find some areas that, that other people, some untilled soil and try and make that my own. And, and Tom, to his credit, there was in Target Acquire, the first Clancy book I wrote, there were a couple scenes where he reined me in a little bit and he said, Hey, this is, you know what, this sounds more like Matt Drake um, than Jack Ryan Jr. You need to pull this back or he wouldn't talk to Clark that way or something. And so he never in any of those things said, stop writing that way. What he, what he did is said, Hey, here's how we can still trying to do what, what you're trying to do with that scene without um, compromising the universe that already exists. And that's such a freeing thing for a writer because you don't have to, you don't have to start from a, a point of constraints or a point of limitations. Like I feel like every book I get to write with Tom Colgan, the sky is wide open and I can push it as far. Every single one of these books taxes me as a writer. And I feel like hopefully that ends up being a reward for the reader because I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying not to do something episodic or not something that's similar. And he's the safety net for it. And for Vince Flynn, Emily Bessler is a fantastic oh, yeah. editor who, you know, edits Brad Thor and Vince Flynn when he was still alive. And she will very much be the bumpers for this series because she was Vince's editor the entire time. She was Kyle's editor for the last 10 years. And I know she will be um, my safety net when I'm writing my first Vince Flynn book. And so there's, I think, I think it's when you're writing for a legacy author, it's, you need to start from a place of, you know, intense respect for the world they've created, they've created and in a sense of humility in that the, you know, the, the folks who came before you built this universe and made it broader and more expansive. But I think you still got to swing for the fences as you're writing it. Um, right. And then, and then know that your editor is going to help bring it back in. If you stray too far over the line. Are there um, series Bibles that exist for these characters with all the things that have been done and the characters that have been introduced and all of that? Or, you know, is it just, you know, I'm, I'm going to go back and reread what's been done and, and take my own notes. Yeah. It's funny you asked that because Mark Graney's a good friend of mine. And so when I got the Clancy gig, I've, I talked to him several times before um, when I was still trying to figure out if I thought I could do it or should take it. And then afterwards I said, Hey man, when you, when you took over this gig, was there some kind of series Bible or something? And he said, no, but I'll send you what I have. And I'm like, Oh, that's great. And so he sends me, I forget which one of Tom's books, you know, all his books were like oh, the yeah. size of a dictionary. And then, so it's this massive book. And on the, 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 the paper side, not the binding side, the paper yeah. side, there are all these little different colored post-it notes. And so you would turn to red and this red one would be, there'd be a section market highlighted that says Jack Ryan Jr. has blue eyes and brown hair. And so it's all of these little post-it notes. And wow. so I took my daughter who I think was 14 at the time. I'm a big believer in capitalism. And I gave the book to her and I'm like, I'll pay you 20 bucks an hour to turn this into a Bible. And so she did. And I so I it. asked Kyle Mills kind of the same question and Kyle. And so Vince died. Um, obviously, everybody knew he was sick, but he still yeah. died um, unexpectedly. And he and so when Kyle agreed to take over the series, he actually delayed um, the pub date for his first book because he wanted to read through the entire series again. And then he said to um, to the uh, Flynn estate. They said, just send me what he's got. He's like, I'm sure he's got, 
you know, a box by his desk with a bunch of notebooks in it. Just send me what he's got. And so what they sent him was a Word document with three pages on him. And, and it was the first three pages of the new novel. And Kyle's like, oh. what about the rest of it? And they're like, there is no rest of it. And so um, Kyle, though, to his credit, is a is a super organized guy. And so oh, yeah. he told me, he's like, look, man, I've got notes and boxes of stuff. And so he and I were actually going back and forth because he finally, uh, not finally, but he finished code red and I finished weapons grade and I sent him this email that was like, release the dogs, send me what you got. And so he sent me code red and he said, read it. And then let's talk about what I have. Cause I've probably got more um, Bibles and notes and stuff than you'll ever want. And so um, with, with Kyle, it, it should be a little bit easier. I think. I talked to Brandon Sanderson, a, a, a few years ago and uh, about uh, when he took over the wheel of time series yeah, for Robert Jordan, for Robert Jordan. And, and there were just massive amounts of notes. And then he had to figure out how to, how to end yeah. this series. And yeah, uh, that would have, that would have given me he answers. Was, I'm a huge Robert Jordan fan. And I was very anxious to see how yeah. Brandon was going to be able to do it because there were so many plots and so many threads and stuff. And I, I don't know if, if this is true, I thought or had read that I thought that Brandon went in and saw Robert Jordan as he was he was um, pretty close to the end. And he kind of right. dictated some notes and stuff for him. But he did. He's an amazing writer, obviously, in his own right. But to yeah. be able to take that series and bring it back into a, a satisfying conclusion is incredible. Right. You you talked a minute ago about about Clancy and, and how mm-hmm. Clancy's books were, you know, doorstops. And yeah. um, we I, I had a friend uh, that that uh, we used to read Clancy books all the time and talk about them. And and I, I forget which book it was, The Bear and the Dragon, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, he's he, he asked me how it's going. I said, well, I'm on page 200 and he's still introducing characters, <laughs> um, you know, and that was kind of a hallmark of Clancy, these huge mm-hmm. sprawling stories with, you know, characters just, you know, yeah. everywhere. Um, and one thing I've noticed about you and um, a couple of the other authors that are writing in Clancy's world is that you don't necessarily try to imitate his writing yeah. style as yeah. much as use characters and, and settings that were already created. And then it, it's very much a Don Bentley book writing in the Clancy universe. Uh, you're you're yeah. not trying to imitate Clancy's way of writing. And I know I'm, I'm probably not making sense when I, when I describe that, but um, it, is there a, a, a temptation or like, I, I guess when you take over a legacy like mm-hmm. that, what, what is the temptation to like, how close do I stay to Clancy? How, how much am I free to, to write yeah. in my own way? D- does that make sense at all? No, absolutely. And that's a, that's a great distinction. And so again, going back to my editor, Tom Colgan, he, when I, he said two things, um, when I, when I got the Clancy job that were both, um, very instrumental in, in helping me find my place as a writer and kind of reassuring me. And the first thing he said, and so Tom Colgan has a number of legacy series. He manages the Bourne stuff. He manages the Clancy stuff, the W.E.B. Griffin, like a whole bunch of legacy stuff. And what he said to me is that, um, he said, one of my strengths, one of Tom's strengths as an editor is that I can pick the right writers for a series and you are the right writer for the series because I picked you. So you don't have to, 
You don't have to worry about you. If you can do it, you don't have to second guess yourself. You're the right writer for this. And then the second thing he said is that I don't want you to try and write like Tom Clancy or to imitate his style. He said, you know, nobody can write like Tom is. He said, I, I want you to basically write fan fiction. And he's like, I want you to do what you do with the Matt Drake series, but do it in this universe. And so every time a new Clancy book of mine comes out, there's always at least one kind soul on social media who says, you should be ashamed of yourself for profiting off the Clancy name. And, uh, and first off, I'm not the one profiting off the Clancy name, but secondly, right. you know, what I try and explain it to people is I'm a star Wars fan. And so George Lucas created this rich and vibrant universe with a number of characters and then he invited writers to come in and make that universe bigger and richer yeah. and expand it with all the different Star Wars books and now the movies and stuff like that. And for me, that's what we're trying to do in the Clancy universe is that Tom Clancy, in, you know, invented this rich and dynamic um, universe populated by iconic characters. And we get to write fan fiction in it and let it come on. And so it's not... Um, it is a little more restrictive in the sense that um, I'm writing one book and Mark Cameron is writing the other book. And so what I, what we, neither of us want to do is give readers whiplash where they read a Mark book and then a Don book in there and say, man, Clark felt like this when Mark wrote him and this, like what Don wrote him. And so we've been and Mark Cameron's a great guy to work with. We try and deconflict so that we're not writing the same characters or that, the way Mark writes Jack Ryan Sr. is the way that Jack Ryan Sr. is written through the entire um, series. And so we do do a lot of behind the scenes stuff like that, where um, my next two books. So my my editor said that Zero Hour was more of a Jack Ryan Sr. book because it was bigger in scope. And so Flashpoint and a Weapons Grade very much follow that um, and are actually even bigger. And so there were times where uh, I had to tell Mark, I'm like, look, I need to have a vantage point into the White House because this, this, and this is happening in the story. I don't want to write Jack Ryan Sr., but who's the character I can have that I can use as that vantage point? And so hopefully all of that is transparent to the reader, but as writers, we do go through a lot of work just because we always have our customers in mind, right? The last thing I want is for somebody to go from Mark's book to my book and say, ah, there's something about this that feels off. And so we do uh, make a pretty big effort to try and make that smooth sailing for the reader. And when is your, your next Clancy book coming out? Yeah. So it's called Flashpoint and it comes out, um, I guess pretty soon when it, or it's, it's the 23rd of May. I'm sorry. I probably okay, said the 23rd. 3rd of May. Yeah. The 23rd of May. Okay. I, I'm losing, I'm on book tour right now. I don't <laughs> even know what day it is. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, we'll definitely look forward to that. But yeah. right now, Matt Drake novel book four, Forgotten, Forgotten War, War is out everywhere. Go to your lo local bookstore, grab it, uh, support local books. But if you can't, we'll put links to it in the show notes where you can grab it from Amazon or uh, Audible. Have you have you listened to the audiobook of this yet, Don? Yeah, so I'm midway through it now. And it's funny as a writer, I can't ever really read my own stuff because it's <laughs> even if it's been, you know, six weeks or a month or a year. When I read it, all I see are mistakes or things I wish I would have done different. But when Scott Brick reads it to me, he's oh. phenomenal. And he's oh, yeah. it's like hearing the story for the first time. And 
honestly, that's the day the book comes out. I get Scott Brick delivered to my audiobook, and that's kind of my little celebration is I get to listen to him tell me the story. So I'm about a quarter of the way through it now. I love it. Love it. I'm going to grab the audiobook. I've I've read the arc that your publisher sent me a mm-hmm. month ago or so, but I always look forward to on release day when the audio comes out to yep. get to experience the book, you know, in a new way all over again. Yep. Forgotten yep. War out everywhere now. Go grab it. Uh Don, if if folks are just discovering you, God forbid, where the what <laughs> rock have they been hiding under? Um what's your website? Tell people where they can connect with you online. Yeah, absolutely. So my website's real easy. It's just donbentleybooks.com. So B-E-N-T-L-E-Y. And if you're there, you can click on my newsletter and that's where um, my subscribers find out about what I'm working on, contests, everything first there. If you're a social media person, I'm on um, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And for all three, my handle is just at Bentley Don B. So at B-E-N-T-L-E-Y-D-O-N-B. Excellent. Don, Thanks, as always, for stopping by, and uh, we're going to send everyone to see you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Hank. Thanks for joining us, y'all. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk to authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool should not be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. Visit us at DabbleWriter.com and start your free trial today. Thanks for listening.